There's no medication that reverses diabetes. There's no medication that reverses heart disease. There's no medication that reverses Alzheimer's dementia. They manage the symptoms, you know, and maybe... Maybe some relief a little here and there. Relief, but they do not create health. And what health is, health is... Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome to this special masterclass. We brought some of the top experts in the world to help you unlock the power of your life through this specific theme today. It's going to be powerful, so let's go ahead and dive in. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. I've also heard uh, examples of people who, let's say, eat perfectly but still have challenges. Yeah. Maybe their relationships are off and they're in a stressful environment in their relationship or their marriage or whatever it might be, or they just react poorly. They worry often to things they see and experience. They're a warrior. And so every time they worry, there's a, I guess the stress hormone is spiking, right? And sending hormones to the body, which is spiking blood levels. Is that right? Yeah. Blood sugar. So it sounds like the psychological side of things is also extremely important to understand and that every time you're un- you're allowing your body or your mind to ruminate mm-hmm. on a consistent basis, it's sending a signal to the body in a negative way, which is helpful if there's a real life threat, but not when it's a- on a repeat every day. Is that right? That's exactly right. It's it's that chronic low, low grade stress that can be really damaging. And mm-hmm. there's you know something that's been really fun to experiment with is you know there's now heart rate variability monitors huh. um, like. Aura Ring or Whoop or Leaf Therapeutics. And what these do is heart rate variability is a metric that you can track that looks at actually the time between each heartbeat. And oddly enough, we want the time between each heartbeat to actually not be consistent like a metronome. Mm. We want it to have some variability. Really? Yeah, like Why? maybe 0.7 seconds and then one point, I'm sorry, 0.7 
yeah, seconds, 1.1 second, 0.9 seconds. That's variability. Why do we want that? It really is a symbol of a dynamic system. You know, you want elasticity in the system, and that can sometimes have some irregularity to it. Um, sort of the, the way I kind of think about it is like a stiffer system is going to be a little bit more more regular, and there's sort of that, and it's, these are subtle. You know, it's not like you can feel it in your pulse if you just feel your pulse, but you can pick it up. And so we want more heart rate variability. And usually less, lower heart rate variability is an objective measure of stress. And I've worn these things and been giving a talk on Zoom or something like that. And I'm looking at my, my data afterwards and my heart rate variability plummeted during the talk or I'm processing email, my heart rate variability goes down. So using, to, and then of course, glucose may go up. And so you see these things huh. happening together. And the immediate thing I think is, this is where our tools come in. This is where the deep diaphragmatic breath, where the mindfulness, where having awareness of this happening. Mm -hmm. And then there are so many things we can do to modify that stress response. Even telling your body you're safe, you know, everything sure. is actually okay, can have a, a huge difference. So really dialing into awareness, and then where can I apply the tool? So I would say I take about 100 times more diaphragmatic breaths now than I did a couple years ago because I realized, wow, if this is happening all the time throughout the day without my awareness, that's going to add up over the next 30, 40, 50 years right. and have a huge impact. But it's, it's not actually just the chronic low-grade stress. There's been a lot of research showing that acute traumatic events um, like you know loss of a loved one or divorce or childhood events, so um, adverse childhood events, which are usually, there's an acronym in ACEs, um, people who have many of these tend to actually have worse metabolic health. Wow. And this actually may be related to changes in the brain that affect metabolism. So really changing sort of our set point for stress thresholds early on in life. And so, so sometimes we'll have that patient, like you talked about, who's doing everything right. They're eating really healthy, but they're just really not quite making that progress towards uh -huh. thriving that they want. And a lot of those patients I'm thinking about, what is like the deep core wounds and the what's the set point that's causing you to feel that this world is not a safe place, that is causing you to be inherently hypervigilant. Um, and doing that work even on myself has been so positive because I think what you start to unpack as you go down that journey um, is that your perception of the world and whether it's safe is very much dictated by your lifetime of experience. And um, I think for those of us who have been on a journey of like therapy, and now people are very interested in, of course, how psychedelics can fit into this. And then, you know, other modalities, um, you know, long-term meditation, you know, deep mm. meditation events and things like this that can really unwind some of those kind of amygdala-based, right. fear-based responses in the brain. I think there's huge potential there for that to potentially like unlock um, a new level of health because what it's doing is changing the fundamental way you see the world as a mm. place of threat um, or a place of safety. And unfortunately, I think in our modern world, fear has become a currency that we've used to to profit in a lot of ways. If we can get people to to be fearful. We can get them coming back for information that assuages that fear. And we see that with social media. We see it with the news. You know, there was that undercover uh, reporting of, of one of the uh, CNN executives who, who said, you know, was recorded saying, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, mm -hmm. that we need to get people fearful for them to come back and watch. And 
what that's doing to our stress hormones, to our brain set point, to our desire to have dopamine stimulation to kind of get some pleasure in the face of all this fear, the way that's affecting our cellular biology is profound. And so, you know, I think all of this movement that we're seeing right now towards helping people, towards normalizing mental health Mm -hmm. care, normalizing, you know, psychedelic use is not an end-all be-all, but I think it's interesting how that's now being talked about as a way to really help help people unlock some of this chronic, um, you know, fear. I think it's going to have, you know, could have positive impacts on the body because if we're living with chronic fear, our bodies are not functioning properly, and many of us are. Did you live with chronic fear for a while? I think that the the healthcare system, the conventional healthcare system, unfortunately uses fear as a way to to control patients in a lot of ways. Um, we, you think about a conversation between a physician and a patient, and it's like, you know, your cholesterol is a little high. You need to take a statin. And the patient might say, well, can I have some time to, like, work on diet and lifestyle? Well, I mean, it's your choice. I mean, I'd recommend the statin right now because obviously I don't want you to have a heart attack. But, like, you know, sure, if you want to try diet and lifestyle. Like, that's the type of thing that's happening every day. Like, where this fear of bad outcomes um, is I think driving very much a pharmaceutical and invasive intervention type of strategy. Um, and I think, I think that that really was unsavory to me because it's very disempowered. It's like, if I can drive fear in a patient, then I can essentially get them to do whatever, any, whatever intervention uh, I recommend. And as a surgeon- Medicines, procedures, anything. Right, exactly. You know. Oh well, if we if we don't treat this ear infection with antibiotics, then it could travel to the brain and create a brain infection. Oh, and it's like most ear infections resolve on their own without antibiotics. And overuse of antibiotics is causing huge, huge problems with our gut, which then leads to mental health issues and metabolic problems. And it's like, but if people are scared of the potential, you know, outcome that may be very rare, then of course you can kind of get them. To do stuff, and, and I think that I don't think that doctors are intentionally doing this. I think we have an incentive system in Western mm-hmm. healthcare that really drives people towards intervention. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I also think that with COVID, we saw this happen where, you know, this fear of, you know, anyone, you know, being harmed from COVID or, you know, that we, we you know, kind of got people to do anything and everything. And and we're kind of losing this, um, we're losing kind of that rational sense of, of the risk that is inherent in living. You know, we get in a car every day and like there is risk involved in that, sure. but we choose to do it. And I think that, um, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of sort of fear-based thinking that happens in the healthcare system that unfortunately disempowers patients and pushes them to do interventions more quickly. When I think that um, there is so much opportunity to help coach them with diet and lifestyle, which takes longer, it's harder, um, but ultimately it generates health rather than just putting a Band-Aid on disease. There's no medication that actually generates health. Only diet and lifestyle strategies generate health. And so that should obviously be the foundation of our, of our medical system. But unfortunately, we're not very well trained as physicians to um, know that information or to coach on it. Um, 
But yeah, to answer your question, I think a large part of my personal journey has been trying to overcome fear. Um, really? Personal the, fear? Personal fear. I think one of the biggest examples of this is my, my mom just passed away mm. and about a year ago um, from cancer. And just as any normal person, I spent my life fearing my parents' mortality. Like It's like, oh, this is going to be de- horrible and devastating. And, and I think a lot of people worry about premature loss of a parent. And... You know, I think going through that experience and it actually being a very beautiful transformational experience. Um, see, it was a very, it was sort of a surprise, and um, she had two mm-hmm. weeks between her diagnosis and her death. And oh man! We had this beautiful time together as a family. Wow. She was actually very much on the same page about sort of holistic health as me, and and knew in her heart that she was dying very rapidly. Um, she chose to stay at home be with the family. Mm. We were all together, had this spectacular two weeks. The hospital mm. system, through every possible medium, was trying to pull her into the system. You know, uh, it was pancreatic cancer, so it's like, you need a liver stent, you need a liver biopsy, you need a blood transfusion, you need to be start chemo immediately. And the reality was she knew, I'm dying, like, right now. She ended up dying in two weeks. None of the interventions would have helped. We wouldn't even had a... Um, you know, whatever lasted maybe a few more months or a few more weeks, maybe you don't know. I actually don't think at all. I think that um, might have caused more stress and more. Well, and it was COVID, so she would have been in right. the hospital and we could have not visited her. Oh, that'd be tough. So, yeah. anyways, that experience of seeing her approach, um, seeing her pure joy in the face, she was just ended her last two weeks very joyfully, was very at peace. Mm, that's nice. Um, we had that time together. Um, she was not just like locked in the hospital doing interventions that would not have helped very much. I realized, oh, something I've been fearing my entire life happened was the most transformational growth experience I've ever had. I still feel way more connected to my mom than I ever could have imagined. Mm-hmm. No one can tell you, oh, you, you're going to still feel connected until you maybe experience that. And it kind of made me realize wow. fear is kind of not useful. Right. Um, so I think that something like that, and I, I think it probably lots of people have their own examples, just kind of makes you realize the futility of living in in fear. And you know what does it do? It damages your body. It doesn't really change the outcome. A little bit of healthy fear is useful, of course. Like you don't want to cross the street without looking. Um, but the the idea that um, we should be fearful all the time, like then that's going to protect us, is such a, a fallacy. So turning to Stoic philosophers, turning to you know some sort of Eastern texts, uh, Buddhist and Taoist texts, like sort of looking into traditions that have thought this way has been a really useful yeah. part of my journey and I think needs to be a part of how the healthcare system reforms because we weaponize fear of death as a way to control patients yeah. into doing anything we want. And I think fundamentally overcoming your fear of mortality, which is the, the, the only thing we can be certain of in this world, um, and really approaching that with a sense of awe and a sense of curiosity mm-hmm. and a sense of what can this teach us about how to live, I think is an absolute foundational part of what we need to do as individuals, but also as a healthcare system. Because yeah. otherwise, we're just using fear as this thing, fear of death as this thing, to just wrangle people into as many interventions mm. and um and as pharmaceuticals as possible, with the yeah. with the off chance that people think it's going to somewhat reduce their chance of mortality. So what I, what I heard you say in there was that there is no medicine 
that can actually make you healthier. Is that correct? Or that, that could actually solve the issue on the medicine itself? The vast majority of all medications, I probably wouldn't say all on a record, okay, but yeah, I would yes. say the vast majority- M most do not generate health in the body. They the, manage They don't symptoms. cure the, the, no. the, the disease or if whatever. If you take away a diabetes medication from someone, their diabetes is not gone. It's right back there where it was. Mm. Um, mm. Whereas if you get someone to really foundationally improve their cellular function, which can only be done through consistent dietary and lifestyle habits, mm -hmm. um, they can truly reverse their disease. Right. But there's no medication that reverses diabetes. There's no medication that reverses heart disease. There's no medication that reverses Alzheimer's dementia. Um, they just kind of manage the symptoms. They manage the symptoms, you know, and maybe... Maybe some relief a little here and there. Relief, um, huh. you know, life extension for some of them. Um, but, but they do not create health. And what health is, health is optimal cellular functioning. We are just a big, you know, bag of cells and each cell needs to be functioning properly for us to have health. What is a symptom? What is disease? That is cellular dysfunction happening on the individual level, happening in a, you know, if that's happening in mass, that might be tissue dysfunction. If that's happening, uh, you know, in a bigger way, it's organ dysfunction. And that's when we see symptoms of disease. So we have to really zoom in on what's happening in the cell. Mm. And what is a, a cell is being, getting its information from what you're eating, what it's being built from, which is your food, um, what stress hormones it's seeing binding to its little cell membrane, um, you know, what's happening with your hormones, which mm -hmm. of course is dictated by stress and by sleep and by exercise and by food. It's the super complex milieu that can only be optimized by the choices that we're making every day, day in and day out consistently, even by the sunlight we're exposing ourselves to in the morning. And, um, you know, Andrew Huberman talks about mm -hmm. this all the time, but literally the consistent exposure of sunlight first thing in the morning is chemical information to your body through the sunlight's energy to tell your cells how to function. You can't put that in a pill. Wow. You know, it has to happen through these <laughs> millions of years of evolutionary evolved processes. And so, yes, like wow. medications can't, with their, you know, one pathway that they might be intervening on, truly generate foundational cellular health, which is what we need to achieve. They don't, they don't bring uh, wholeness back to the cell. Yeah. I guess there's what, some, Creams or something that might help you heal a cut or something like that, but we're talking about like a chronic illness medication, right? There's. Yeah, but even if you think about a cut, you know, I mean, a cut is like, it seems so simple, but it's actually so complex. It's like for a cut, if, if you think about people with disease, like diabetes, for instance, one of, one of the reasons that people with type 2 diabetes die is because of chronic wounds. They have wounds that won't heal. Interesting. Oh, yeah. And Are I mean, they that's internal wounds or external wounds? External wounds. People can get um, something what? that happens with people with diabetes is they often have nerve damage um, because of the way the blood sugar is affecting the nerves. So then their feet become numb and then they might get a cut on their foot. They don't feel it. And then that mm. festers. And because of their high blood sugar, their immune cells don't work. So they can't heal the wound. Um, and, and then so, they die from the wound. And then they get a huge systemic infection that might lead to death or an amputation. So the, the majority of lower limb amputations are caused by diabetes, on, diabetic really? ulcers that are like wounds. How um, many people have type 2 diabetes in the U.S.? Do we know the number? Oh, yeah. Well, there's 128 million Americans with prediabetes 
or type 2 diabetes. Come and on. of those, 30 million have full-on type 2 diabetes. 30 million out of the, what, 300 and, what is that, 300 something Yeah, it's about 13% of the population Has now. type 2 diabetes. Yeah, and it was less than 1% in the 50s and 60s. And pre-diabetic, you're saying 100 million. Yep, what is pre, around that. What does pre-diabetic mean? Who is, who is someone who might be pre-diabetic? Well, it actually can be quite surprising. There are lots of young, healthy people walking around who look otherwise fit, who have prediabetes and don't know it. 90% of people with prediabetes do not know that they have it. How do you know if you have it? Well, the easiest way to do it is through a blood test. Um, So you basically get a fasting blood sugar test from your Uh doctor, and if it's between 100 and 125 milligrams per deciliter of fasting glucose, um, that's considered prediabetes. 100 to 125. 125. What do you want to be at? What's a healthy range? So what's considered normal is 100 or below. 100 below. But I would say that that is way too lenient of a range because mm-hmm. what we figured out is that people in the low end of normal are much less likely to develop long-term problems with like heart disease, stroke, or diabetes. So even if you're in the high normal range and your doctor says to you, Oh, your your fasting blood sugar is ninety seven. You're great. You're normal. That's very close to hundred. You should 100. see that as a huge red flag. Wow. You are metabolically dysfunctional if that's the wow. case. Um, and so, really, where you want to shoot for is about seventy to eighty five milligrams per deciliter. Can people get a test that they can order and do this themselves, or do you have to go? For sure. Through? What yeah, are these? Where you are can these? actually buy it at CVS or at the pharmacy. You What's just it called? Prick your finger. Um, or what are these called? One drop. They're called glucometers. Um, glucometers. So you can just, they're like literally $20 on Amazon. There's Keto Mojo. Um, you just prick your, your finger and then it'll tell you right away or in a few in minutes? In five seconds, yeah. So then it just tells you what your level's at. What it is. And it's cool to check it actually day to day, like for a few weeks, because one thing you'll find is that, let's say you have one poor night of sleep. Like let's say had a big work thing due and you got six hours instead of eight hours, your blood sugar in the morning might be 10 points higher. Come on. Oh, for sure, yeah. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you want the best, you have to act 
quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Or let's say you had a really late meal the night before. Your blood sugar might be higher the next morning. So what it starts putting together for you is mm. this is very dynamic. And if I did these activities day after day, year after year for my whole it life, builds. I'm building. So figure out what allows you to be in that 70 to 85 range. Maybe wow. it's like a really awesome workout in the middle of the day prior and getting to bed a little bit earlier and getting morning sunlight exposure and doing some deep breathing in the morning. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh cool, my blood sugar so is 72 milligrams yeah. rest liter, you know, or fasting for, you know, 16 hours or something like that. But figuring out oh. what works for you to stay in that low range and then dial it in for as many days of the week as possible um, as you can. The other really interesting thing about fasting blood sugar as a test is that, you know, the body, like we were talking about with the insulin resistance, it's very adaptable. And when the body starts becoming insulin resistant, so it's saying we're seeing too much glucose around, we're producing, like we're gonna create an insulin block. What the body does is it's like, well, we've gotta get this glucose out of the bloodstream. So it starts producing more insulin. So your, your insulin levels will actually start rising as you become insulin resistant to push more of that glucose into the cells. And so a study in The Lancet, a big medical journey sh journal, showed that you can actually keep your blood sugar levels normal for like 13 years oh. prior to them elevating. And all the while, insulin is rising, but it's compensating to keep glucose wow. low. Unfortunately, because we don't check fasting insulin in this country, we're missing that window where people are clearly becoming insulin resistant, but their glucose still looks normal on their yearly check. So to just make this concrete, you and I could both go to the primary care doctor and have a fasting glucose of 80 milligrams per deciliter. And so the doctor says to both of us, you're both in perfect health. If I'm really insulin resistant because I'm on that glucose roller coaster and I'm getting poor sleep and I'm chronically stressed and not managing it and I have childhood trauma right. that I haven't addressed, blah, 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 all that stuff, I could be at 80 but I'm doing that by my insulin being elevated to like 35 or 40 and your insulin might be two. So your body's not working hard at all to keep your insulin at 80, and my body is having to present so much insulin. So I am clearly on the path towards metabolic disease, diabetes, and all the associated conditions, heart disease, stroke, cancer, Alzheimer's, dementia, oh. fatty liver disease, gout, infertility, erectile dysfunction, blah, 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 blah. And you're in the clear, but our doctor tells us that we're the same. Huh. So this is why I recommend that every patient ask their doctor for a fasting insulin check because you, you have a sense of what's actually happening under the hood. Have you seen anyone who is, the mind is under so much attack that 
They've been addicted to substances. They've tried to get off and they're unable to stay consistent with healthier habits because they had some type of mental condition that was so aggressive that they were just like, I need to drink. I need to smoke because I've tried the other way and it doesn't work. Or have you seen people who have been successful time after time, if they're able to follow the challenging practices consistently to improve the quality of their brain? See, I would say they're simple practices. I've seen people- Challenging for people to- I've seen people both ways, right? And often it takes enough pain for them to change. But sometimes like losing their kids, but sometimes even when they lose their kids, they don't change because their brain has been hijacked. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but one of the reasons I never did drugs is I never wanted something else to control my life. Yeah, it was Um, one of the reasons. I also never wanted to make an excuse if, because I would see people, especially playing football in college, guys would get drunk after a game and then they would they would not be well the next day at practice. That was one. I was like, I want to have an advantage. But then people would do things and, and they're, they're like cheating their girlfriend. They're like, oh, I was drunk. I'm sorry. I was like, if I cheat or do something bad, I want to own it. I want to be responsible for being a jerk or being a or whatever I did, as opposed to blaming a substance that did that thing. Personally. So you want to be in control Absolutely. of your whole life. And Absolutely. that's what I want. Yeah. I don't want anything else controlling me. And if you know these things are potentially addictive, it's like playing Russian roulette. It's like, I would never play Russian Uh roulette. I'm like, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, why would I increase my chance of trouble? I mean, you know, to think you're invulnerable. What about the the wave of plant medicine use and normalization of plant medicine, the people saying it's transformation of uh, transformational work helping them heal their pain of their past, helping them overcome trauma, helping them break through things they've never been able to mentally break through with. Um, this work of uh, ayahuasca, plant medicine, all these different things. What are your thoughts on that in terms of brain scan results? Well, I actually did a study with Ibogaine, which is one of the plant medications. And it's like an ayahuasca or? It's like ayahuasca. And it wasn't good from a brain perspective. Really? But I think it's gonna be an interesting, exciting part of psychiatry. And there are lots of studies. It's just recently legalized, not now, but in two years in Oregon. And- um, They're gonna legalize what, plant medicine? Plant medicine. In Oregon? Yeah, mushrooms. Oh, they are. Psilocybin. In Oregon. Yeah, microdosing. Because The problem is, I wish, so the big innovations in psychiatry now are magic mushrooms Uh and marijuana and more medications. And I'm like, how about diet exercise and learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think? Don't you think we should at least start? <laughs> three simple let's things. Let's start and sleep. there. Yeah, yeah. Let's, sleep. let's start you know, with brain health. But I think it's gonna be a interesting, exciting thing. But you know, um, psychiatrists were really interested and excited about Valium. And they were really interested and excited about cocaine. Freud used cocaine. Uh, And they went, oh, they're interested and excited about marijuana. And they go, well, the brain has cannabinoid receptor sites. Well, the brain also has benzoreceptor sites. And that didn't work out well. 
and the brain also has opiate receptor sites, and that didn't work out. Well, we should be finding ways to naturally increase opiates, and that's exercise. Well, well people um, say, well, plants are natural. You know, yeah. and this has been happening for centuries with our ancestors. And, and cocaine is natural. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, just because... Sugar is natural, I guess. Sugar is natural. <laughs> right. I mean, is it helpful? That's the question. So what about magic mushrooms or mushrooms or microdosing this? You know, I've, I've heard mushrooms are good to eat, you know, food mushrooms. Well, I actually make, I have a supplement company called BrainMD and uh, we make something called Smart Mushrooms. I put a scoop in my shake every morning. Right. It's got lion's mane and cordyceps and reishi and they have both immune system benefits and cognitive. Yes benefits and and i feel at 66 every bit as sharp as when i was 20. And so what's the difference between those mushrooms versus the <laughs> they don't medicine have mushrooms? hallucinogenic effects so what happens to the brain when we so, hallucinate um it activates it actually turns on some of the limbic or emotional parts of the brain and if you're doing it in a therapeutic environment you might be able to reprocess some of those mm. painful memories in a different way. You might be able to separate from them, get a different perspective Got it. of them. But there are other ways to do that uh, that might not have side effects. Like there's a treatment for trauma I like called EMDR. I was just gonna ask eye movement that. desensitization and reprocess. I studied I hear, that in I hear police amazing, officers. I hear amazing things from this. So helpful. Um, and that does a similar strategy of activates your emotional brain and then calms it. So I did a study with police officers who had PTSD from being involved in shootings. Mm. And most police officers don't want to be involved in shootings, no. that it becomes traumatic for them if they hurt someone, and like soldiers in war, and they were all off work, and on average of eight EMDR sessions, they all went back to work and it calmed down the emotional parts of their brain. Mm. So that's pretty exciting. That's There's cool. another technique I use called havening, Never which heard. is bilateral hemisphere stimulation. That's what EMDR is. You bring up the trauma, I get your eyes to go back and forth. And that trauma connects to another trauma, which can connect to another trauma. It's really interesting. But havening is just really simple. It's thinking about the trauma. I want people always to go into their pain, not away from their pain. And so, for example, I told you my dad died May 5th last year. Mm. And a couple of days later, I'm at my mom's house and we're just going through paperwork, right? I mean, it's what you do after somebody dies. And somebody, some idiot, had a picture of my dead father in the mortuary in that stack of papers. And I'm just, and all of a sudden I find oh. it and it hits me mm. and it just bothered me. And, and a couple of hours later, I realized it was bothering me. It was circling in my head. And so I teach my patients this, it's havening. It's like, think about what's bothering you. And th for 30 seconds, stimulate both hemispheres of your brain. So as I do this, it's stimulating that side. If I do that, stimu stimulate while you bring up the trauma. Huh. And do that like up to six times. And after the first time, I'm like, that's the last picture of my dad I'll ever see. Wow. 
and it was okay. Mm. And then I did it twice more, and the picture became my favorite picture oh. of my dad because he was at peace. Yeah. And I slept like a baby that night, and the picture never bothered me again. It's just simple, and there's these simple techniques that everybody should know. Mm. Why do you have to be sick to learn how to be well? Shouldn't we have, and we have a high school course called Brain Thrive by 25, mm. that we teach kids how to love and care for their brains, their minds, their relationships, and be purposeful. How much does alcohol smoking or marijuana or psychedelics actually affect lifespan? Do we have enough research on this yet or? Uh, well, we do on, on tobacco smoking. It's obviously, yes. it's very clear that's a decade off your life. And what's interesting is that what we're learning about these various things that you can do to hurt yourself or to protect yourself is that what's happening is that your body is aging at a different rate. So smokers, you can measure it, are older biologically than people who've never smoked. That's why they look older too. Wow. We yeah. can measure that now. In my lab, if I took your blood, I could tell you how old you are biologically, not just your chronological I want to do that. I saw you post this on Instagram that you're like 46. Is that right? Or you're 42 uh, or what is it? I went down to, what was it, 44, I think. Okay, or 42. 44. It, it yeah. bounces around, but it's usually a decade younger than I That's thought cool. I That's cool. So, so what do you do? You take a blood sample like, and yeah. then you what? Measure so the, the blood? There's two ways of doing it. Uh, there's one company that I advise called Inside Tracker, and that's what I use. I've often. had that too, yeah. You've done that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they come to your home or you, you donate, and, and then you get this, uh, this readout of, I think it's 40 different parameters, mm -hmm. and they use an algorithm and tell you how old you are. So I'm 42 or something like that. I'm, on the, I'm in the top 2% of people from my age for youthfulness. So no, I'm, no, I'm happy with just that. Just dusted off a little brag over there. I like it, yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> You better be if you're researching this and the top scientists in the world on this. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I don't like to brag. That's not what Australians right. and scientists do. <laughs> but what I, I, I do want to say is I use my body as a, an experiment Yeah. and try to be a role model. Mm -hmm. And I've been optimizing my lifestyle for 20 years now mm -hmm. based on this feedback from Inside Tracker for the last 12, 13 years. Wow. And you can see the graphs of things going out of the optimal zone. And then I make a change based on science and it comes back or even better. So we know from smokers that their biological age is older when they smoke, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, well that's one test. The inside tracker test is what I do routinely every few months. But there's a new type of test that my colleagues um, and in, in my lab we've developed. It's called the DNA methylation test. It's also known as the Horvath test, named after my friend Stephen Horvath at UCLA. The way to think of this is, if you've ever heard of the epigenome? Uh-huh, I've heard of that. These are the, the control systems that control our DNA. It turns out that that system you can measure. Uh, it's chemicals on your DNA that change over time predictably. And we've just developed a way to measure that 100 times cheaper than it was before. Mm. And uh, I'm going to bring this test to the public so that's that people cool. can test their biological At age. home or something? Or? It should be a cheek swab. That's what we're developing. So you don't have to prick or take blood or anything. You do a cheek swab. Exactly. And then you ship it in or something? Or? Yeah, you'll post it in. And then you get, hopefully just a week later or less, Here's your credit score for your body. Well, that's cool. And then even better, here's how do you how do you slow it down or reverse it based on everything we know about you. Wow, that's and we'll, cool. We'll take you on that journey. So do this, eat this, swallow this. That is cool. I gotta take that test. Yeah. Well, 
you can get on the wait list if you want. Okay, uh, where, where there, there's a website because we, we are uh, taking names right now. We may do some studies with early adopters too. That's cool. What's, uh, where's the so wait it's, list? It's for called that? Tally. T A L L Y. Tallyhealth.com. And uh, the reason I'm excited about it is it's very hard to focus on what works because we have no idea. You exercise, you hope that it's good. Yeah. Is it too much? Too little? If I eat this, does it help me? Uh, we need a dashboard for our bodies, and that's what that's what these give you. That is really cool. Okay, so we know that smoking makes you age biologically. That's why it makes you look older, smoking. What about drinking alcohol? You know, we've talked about wine and the, the, the substance in wine that could be supportive, but alcohol in general, does that affect biological age and aging? Well, it's all, it all depends on quantity. Gotcha. Uh, one glass a day, most doctors would say, especially if it's red wine, it's fine. And the alcohol actually can help with cut the cardiovascular system, mm. reduces uh, bad cholesterol, and more importantly, raises the, the good cholesterol, HDL. This is for red wine. Uh, and the alcohol in white wine does a little bit of good too. Okay. But, but beer. So beer will raise the levels of uric acid, which is a breakdown product of uh, a protein breakdown product mm. that you can pee out. Um, but if you have too much beer and other types of food that contain a lot of this type of protein, you will raise your uric acid level. So why does that matter? Mm-hmm. It's being becoming very clear that if you have high uric acid levels, your body will age faster. We just had uh, Dr. David Perlmutter on, exactly. who has a book about uric acid, talking yeah. about like this is one of the the root causes of poor health yeah. and aging faster and things like that. So well, al- alcohol, talk you talked to him a lot. Yeah, yeah. Actually, was, was uh, one of the first people to read his book before it came out. Yeah, it's really it, good. It, it blew my mind. Uh, yeah. I now measure my uric acid levels. You can get little test strips. Uh, you can just. No, you spit on it, and ten <laughs> seconds later, you see, you see your levels. acid levels. Yeah, and so the the lower the level, the better. Right. The higher the level means there's risk for what? Everything, according to David, it's really bad for cancers and heart disease mainly. But uh, I I think he's right that it's a, it's a sign of of accelerated aging. The higher the uric level, the faster you're going to be aging. Yeah, and a larger con- amount of consumption of alcohol, specifically beer, I'm hearing, raises that level. Beer in particular has beer a lot particular. of the chemicals in it that will raise uric acid, unfortunately. And, th- and that's from David Perlmutter. He gave me a list of foods. I saw so beer on there, like, oh, that's us. Now, is, is there any benefit to beer in biology, in science? Does it help you improve the quality of your health? Your Is your brain get better? Does your your body, your system get better? Does it make you younger at all? Or are there no benefits to beer biologically and in your brain? There are benefits because there's alcohol in there and a little bit of alcohol is good for your cardiovascular system. But but there's other things that's good for your cardiovascular system sure. too, right? That you, yeah. don't, that you don't need. That. So beer on the, on the list of alcohols is at the bottom for health Got uh, it. mostly, unless it's full of sugar, uh, you know, like those very sweet wines I think would be a problem. But beer does have a lot of vitamin uh, B, B group vitamins, B3, tons of it. But uh, you can get that in other ways too. You can. <laughs> so what can you do? I mean, you've got to live as well. Right, right. I, I, I don't it. prescribe yes. a life that's that's prolonging and feels longer. You've know, you uh, got to live a little. Right, right. Enjoyment. The enjoyment yeah. of the richness of life. Yeah. Right. Though I am trying not to drink alcohol these days. Uh, I've never been drunk in my life. Yeah, amazing. Never been drunk. I don't find it a... 
amazing because I just never found the 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 des- I never had the desire to do it. I never saw, I like tasted some when I was 16 and I was like I don't understand why I would ever drink this. Plus it was also for me, maybe that's one of the reasons in your mind I look younger, I look like I haven't aged more is because I found it as a an advantage in sports when everyone else was drinking. I was like, "Oh, it's weakening their immune system. It's making them slower." Mentally, this will give me an edge in athletics. They were hungover after games in practice, and I was like, I'm going to be sharp. And so I just kept on with it. I was like, this is just going to make me sharper. Mm. Now, I have my other vice. I use you know, sugar in other ways. This is my vice, so uh, uh. I'm not perfect. But um, does alcohol make you look older, too? In excess. In yeah. excess, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit every day is, is okay, a little bit. But little most bit. doctors... Um, like physicians would say, if you overdo it, you, you will age. And actually what, what you do as a researcher is you look at people who live a long time and compare them to either their twin, which has been done, or Ooh. family members. Interesting. Yeah, and actually how you live your life has a massive impact on how long you live. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. There's a twin study. They took identical twins, genetically identical, uh, in Denmark, and they said, okay, let's look at them through their life. And there were massive differences in how they looked and how they, how long they lived. And when they went back to see what the causes were, they could figure out, first of all, that 80% of their lifespan was determined by how they lived, not their genetics. You mean the way they felt about themselves, the people they hung out with, their environment, the activities they took on, or what do you mean? Well, mostly their lifestyle, what they ate, did okay. they smoke, did they drink, did they exercise. Those did the they sleep things. well, all that stuff. Right. right. Okay. And those that did all the good things, the same genetics, twins, born the same day, one could live 10 years longer than the other. Now, this is what I'm curious about. Were these twins hanging out all the time? Or were they, because usually when you're hanging out with someone all the time, you pick up the similar habits, right? You pick up a similar lifestyle habit as your parents, as your partner, and you kind of eat the same things. It's really hard to be like, I'm going to drink every day and I'm not going to drink every day if you're living together and in the same room, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So I wonder that, how that is. Yeah. Maybe they, they got separated at birth or something. Interesting. Uh, but it does tell you a lot. The, the fact that 80% of our future health is in our own hands is, is liberating. That's really cool. Because often we think, ah, oh, it's not going to make a big difference. It really makes a big difference how you live your life every day. 
focus on that. And one thing that I do is I look at my future self and I ask myself, what's that guy saying to me today if he could speak to me? What's he saying? Please don't eat that. Exactly. Please right? don't drink that anymore. You had enough, like you're going to hurt right. me in 10 yes, years. That's how you need to think about it. It's coaching yourself 10, 20, 30 years out. Right. It's interesting. I asked David Perlmutter, I said, what are some things you wish you would have done young, sooner to improve the quality of your health? And he was like, flossing. He was like, he's like, I, and I didn't, I didn't go deeper into that, but I remember him saying that. And I was like, there's wisdom in whatever it is. Maybe he had some gum issues or something he had to deal with at one point that was really affecting him for a year or two. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But if he could go back, he'd be like, I wish you would have done this better. So I didn't have to suffer later. Right? Yeah. What are the things you've done or you're doing now that your 10-year-old self will be so happy for? Like if he was in front of you right now, he'd just be hugging you and high-fiving you nonstop. The things you're doing that he will appreciate in 10 years. And then what are a few things that he's going to say, man, I really wish you wouldn't do that right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, so um, let's see. So, I'm, so I, I measure myself so I can speak scientifically, not just that it mm-hmm. makes me feel good. Uh, it's the, the one meal, one main meal a day. He would be grateful for. I'm sure of it. And, and as a result, I'm leaner and uh, you know, more ripped. Uh, I hate you to say look, that word. You look lean. I am lean. You look really lean. Uh, I've You're gone shredded. over the last two years from 150 pounds to 133. Yeah, you look leaner even from when I... The first time I had you on, your face is leaner and chiseled. Yeah, I've, I don't think I can lose any. I want to lose any more. Yeah, I, mean, I need to go back to the gym and do a little yeah. bit more. Um, so the one meal a day, but you weren't doing one meal a day, what five, ten years ago? No, I only started during the pandemic. Um, yeah, this is new for me too. It's hard actually when you begin. Very hard. You feel hungry because you've got those crashes that make you really hungry, and you've got this um, hormone called ghrelin that makes you hungry. But once you get through that, it takes about three weeks. Mm-hmm. So anyone who, who tries it, make sure that you don't give up early. Just power through and then mm-hmm. you, your liver will wake up. One main meal a day. So that's one. Um, the other thing I, I think that he will be happy is don't eat sugary foods. Oh, man. Yeah. Don't, don't eat that cake. Mm. So at, at a restaurant when they said you want dessert, I always say no. But then I'm hoping that someone at the table orders what bite. I want. Yeah, I, that's all, but that's all you all I need. Right. I need to taste right. it. I don't right. need to fill myself with a cake. Gotcha. Because um, you still want to enjoy your life and live a full life, but yeah. you don't want to, in ten years, be like, "Why do they eat cake every day?" It's not worth it. Yeah, really. Uh, your future self will thank you for it. Mm. Um, lifting weights. I know you do that, so I I need to do more of that. I I got a standing desk. Uh, so most of the day I'm standing, which is great. Again, you have to get used to it. You'll feel tired for the first few weeks. Yes. Uh, your legs will. Uh, I'm now mostly focused on eating plants. I mean, mm-hmm. When I did you start that, that? That's recently. Uh, eating mostly plants. Yeah, I've switched. I, I love meat. I wish that I could eat more. But you just got to look at the science. There's some really good studies of thousands of people who just look at how long people live and what they eat. And, I mean, it's not even an argument. But there's so many people that bring in the argument, well, all these people have cured these diseases or whatever, you know, gotten rid of these things from meat only. And But people make the argument, right? Like, you see it online, people making the argument for meat, meat, meat. So how, where are they finding these research studies of people living longer on an only meat diet? Uh, I don't know. 
I don't but know. you're not seeing them. You're not seeing studies of anyone that lives over 100 that all they do is eat meat. Well, there might be one person or two, but right, right. when you look at 10,000 people, what they eat, it's, uh, it's the vegan and, and the pescatarian that win out. In the blue zones, right. Yeah, and, and the, the numbers are something like that. You, you drop it down to, you've got 88% less chance, or actually it's, it's 12% chance for most diseases. So most diseases are protected by these diets. Really? Wait a minute, 88% less chance of what? Uh, of dying at any one point in the age range of the study, which, oh, wow. which is... Uh, you know, by, by, eat, by being a pescatarian. Yeah, yeah. So it's vegan, pescatarian, those are the best. Then above that would be... Um, actually, pescatarian was better than vegetarian. A little bit of meat seemed to help, but it has to be fish. Mm -hmm. and With then, the omega-3s in there, right? Yeah, and, and particularly uh, oleic acid's good which is found in avocados and olive oil, uh, that activates one of the protective enzymes that we study in the lab. Which acid? Oleic, O-L-E-I-C. What is some of that, but not a lot of it's that? It's a monounsaturated fatty acid or MUFA. Uh, if you have a bit of olive oil, um, there's a supplement online that I get that has high levels of oleic acid in it that I take every day. Okay, cool. With the DHA and EPA. Yeah, all that stuff, yeah. All that good stuff. Yes, okay. Uh, so that's my, that's my fish intake is a pill. You don't eat fish, or you eat very little? Well, you know, I'm evolving my, mm -hmm. my diet. So I've, I've, I've gone from a Mediterranean diet over the last 10 years to the last two, three months to all plant-based, wow. no dairy, and yeah, no meat. And I'm just seeing what happens to my body. I'm measuring things. It's an experiment. Yes. It's not a philosophy. And if things don't work out, biologically, go I'll go back. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd love to go back to a state. I'm Australian <laughs> after all. <laughs> But, you know, I'm, I'm driven by science, and that's all yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay, so you got these four. Is there another thing that your future self would thank you for? One meal a day. Don't eat sugary foods. That's going to be the, one of the most challenging for me. Lifting weights, eating mostly plants. Was there anything else? Get control over psychological stress. Oh, yeah. Why is this so important? Well, the, the main problem is you have high levels of cortisol, when you're stressed out psychologically. And it, it's clear that people who have high levels of, really high levels of stress uh, are chronically ill. Mm. And even it accelerates gray hair. That's actually a fact. It's not just a myth. You really are getting older if you have stress. Really, so this yeah. scientifically proven that if you're stressed out all the time or more frequently, you're gonna get older, biologically. Correct. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, Can and, you reverse and gray hair without uh, you, Dies? Uh, yes. Really? Well, not routinely, but there are examples of that. Um, there are uh, some drugs that have shown in the clinic that, that make hair go gray, uh, from gray to brown. The, the, the best example I can tell you is that, that when people are stressed out, let's say they're in, they're in the banking world and they're, they're losing their minds, um, you can find hairs that start to turn gray. Okay, so you look at them, and they're a little bit gray at the bottom. Oh, good, I'm turning gray, okay. Then they get given a vacation, and they go away for a couple of weeks. And guess what happens to the hair shaft? It gets brown. It's brown again. Come on. You can find these gray-brown segments of hair Interesting. in people. Yeah. And what they, they tracked it down huh. to was that the cells that make the hair pigment start to shut down but they can be reinvigorated. But I suspect once you've been gray for a number of years, it's really hard to It's hard to, to reverse that, yeah. Yeah, so but, but you know, I'm, I'm the first person to say aging is, is not unidirectional. 
in my lab, we're driving it forwards and backwards at will. It's not That's really difficult anymore once you figure it out. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you are matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.